This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. If you are new with us today, or maybe you came on Mother's Day with your family and you thought, I'll give it another try. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back and see what they're all about. I'm so glad that you're here. I want to catch you up on where we've been, because leading into Mother's Day, we were in a series that we're calling Affluenza, and the series is all about asking this one question— what does it look like to be financially healthy? What does it look like to be financially healthy? Because when we look around uh, our neighborhood, our community, and really our country, what we see is that there are symptoms that would lead us to believe that our culture, and that even many of us, have been affected by a germ that we're calling affluenza. And that germ has certain symptoms of a money sickness that is actually not helping us experience the life we were created to live. And there are certain symptoms, things like stress. If you've got stress around money, it could be that affluenza has grabbed you and that you are suffering from a money sickness. And you don't know it's sickness because everyone else kind of has the same thing. And when things look normal, we don't ask whether or not they're healthy. Uh, It could be debt. If you're in debt right now, affluenza, that germ has grabbed you and it's affecting you. And we're going to get into that today. Uh, It could be things like fighting, fighting in your marriage over money issues. How are we going to afford that? Where are we going to put our resources? What are we going to do? It's a symptom of affluenza. And God, because God is good and loving, he, he says, I want you to trust me, to trust me, not to trust money, but to trust me. And I'll give you financial health. And we, we, the first week we explored it this way. We said that both money and God, they claim to meet some basic core desires that each and every person has. See, money says if you've got enough of me, you will find fulfillment. If you've got enough of me, you will, uh, you'll have peace. Money says if you've got enough of me, it will bring you joy. Jesus says, if, if you know me, I will bring you peace. If you know me, I will give you purpose in life. If you know me, you will find fulfillment. Here's the problem, though. Money promises us things, but it always says, if you've got enough. And so we spend our lives trying to get enough, which is why at your first job, when you were a thousandaire, you thought you had enough, but a few years later, you realized, I need some more money to find fulfillment and peace and joy. And so you kept trying to get more and more and more But the problem is it's like a leprechaun chasing a rainbow. Remember we said when he gets to where he thinks the rainbow ends, the rainbow just moves a little further away. And money never ultimately and finally satisfies us. So we're always chasing after that magic enough so we can find our peace. Jesus, on the other hand, says, trust me. Trust me and I will give you all the things that you at your core that you desire. And we ask this question, why would we place our trust in riches when we can place our trust in a God who richly provides all that we need? That was the first week, and I asked us, let's just explore that. Why trust riches when we can trace to God who richly provides for us? And then the next week, we zoomed way out. We said, what would it look like to be financially healthy if we took the Bible from cover to cover and kind of took five main themes of the Bible when it comes to finances? What would it look like to be financially healthy? And here's what we realized. It's not normal. It's not normal. God doesn't want us to be normal when it comes to finances. God wants us to be healthy. And I told you about the reality in all of our lives that normal and healthy aren't always the same. Remember when I was in college, I, I smoked a menthol cigarette every morning, had a Mountain Dew and cinnamon brown sugar Pop-Tarts. That was breakfast for me. That was normal. But looking back, that wasn't healthy. Normal and healthy are not always the same. And when it comes to money, we look around and everyone's doing the same thing. It's normal. It's just not healthy. 
And God doesn't want normal. God wants healthy. And so we had to decide on week two. Am I going to choose to be normal when it comes to my finances? Or am I going to choose to be healthy? And then I told you for these three weeks after Mother's Day, we're going to get real specific about various topics where we we have to choose normal or healthy. And today we're going to talk about, about debt, about debt. Here's what I want to do as we get ready to talk about this. Uh, I want you to think about a time when you either witnessed or you were in a power struggle with someone. When you were just fighting for control, it was a power struggle. Uh, I am blessed to, uh, to be married to Maria. And if, if you've never met my wife, she was playing the keyboard here. That's, that's my wife, Maria. She's one of nine kids. And she's directly in the middle, and she's the first girl. And she was the first female to get married. So four older brothers above her, terrifying, okay, terrifying. Look at me. <laughs> and then she's got three younger sisters and then a, a brother at the, at the bottom. I remember our first year of marriage, I was in Illinois visiting the family, trying to make a good impression. And here's what you have to know. When there are nine kids and they're married and we get together for dinner, dishes They look like a mountain at the end. We're talking an hour to an hour and a half of dishes every single night. So I said, hey, mom, because she said, call me mom, which is weird, right? If you, when you get married, it it takes some, some getting used to. It's not weird. Just takes some getting used to because she listens to this. Okay. (laughs) It's true. So I said, mom, mom, can I do the dishes? And she said, no, it's Josh's turn to do the dishes today. Josh is the youngest of nine. He was I believe he was in high school at that point. It's Josh's turn to do the dishes today. This was at about 6.30 in the evening. Josh wasn't doing the dishes. Josh was playing Xbox. And so I was playing Xbox. About 8.30, I said, Mom, can, can I do the dishes? Can I just help out a little? She said, no. Josh is doing the dishes tonight. And Josh knew, because he's the youngest of night. You don't get away with stuff, right? They, they know all the tricks. They know wait it out. They know throw a fit. They know everything. Mom's like, at that point, there's nothing they haven't seen. So Joanne, my mother-in-law, is waiting him out. And he's just trying to fight for control. If I can just wait, maybe she'll make Kevin do the dishes. This is her plan. I'm not making this up. About 10.30 or 11 o'clock at night, my mother-in-law finally says to him, Joshua Slevin, you go in that other room and you do those dishes. He did them until 1 in the morning he did dishes. Because they were in a battle of wills. They were in a power struggle. And Josh knew ultimately he would lose the battle, but all he could do was hold on to time. And I just watched this this struggle for control take over. Because the truth is, we all want to be in control. There's something about us. That's why, um, how many of you, if you're married, how many of you, when you put the toilet paper roll on, it goes over the top? You roll over the top. Raise your hand. How many of you? Okay, you do it the right way. That's good. (laughs) Now that I've said that, how many of you do it the wrong way? It's okay. We're in church. We love you. We love you. You don't want to raise your hand. You're scared. That's okay. Lay it down. Lay it. That's why you have that power struggle in your marriage. But here's what you do. You, you go in there and you just, you turn it around. You put it on. You put it the, the right way or the wrong way. That's why there's something in your house, in your living room, where she likes it turned this direction and you like it turned that direction and you've had big conversations about it. That's what we call it when we're Christians. We call it conversations, not fights. You've had big conversations about it. No one wins. You both disagree. So when you walk by, you, you turn it this way and then you leave and then you come back the next day and somehow magically it's turned back that way because we like to be in control. We, we just, we do. That's why if you're a, a student, either you just finished up with college for the semester or you're getting ready for finals and papers in high school, Your teacher says you have to write the paper. 
And you know you do, and yet, what can you control? You can control when you write the paper. So you're waiting. You're waiting because, gosh darn it, you're going to have control over that until the last minute. Because we like to be in control. We don't like other people telling us what to do, especially when it comes to money. Especially when it comes to money. Now, just think about this. We all know we like control, especially when it comes to money. And you know who really knows it? Credit card companies. They know that you like to be in control of your money. So here's what credit card companies do. They tell you that credit equals control. Credit is purchasing power. Purchasing power means you are the, contr- the master of your own destiny. They say MasterCard. You're the master of your own destiny. You're in control. They say Visa. Visa, you can travel the world. Travel the world. Just swipe it. It's everywhere you want to be. You can be in control in Italy. You can be in control in Japan. You can be in control everywhere. If you have this card, it opens the door for credit. Now, they don't call it what it really is. They don't call it debt, right? They call it credit. And we get in this power struggle because the truth is, the truth is, most Americans, most Americans, this is normal. Remember, we're, we're asking, do I want to be normal or do I want to be healthy? Most Americans are accumulating debt at an incredible rate. They're not accumulating control at an incredible rate. They're accumulating debt at an overwhelming rate. And they don't see any way out, and it feels hopeless. And what started out feeling like control, if I want it, I can get it, I can slide it, no payments for a year, zero down, I'm in control. Now it feels like, it feels like we're out of control feels like someone else is in control. Remember, I told you, um, that's why you don't want to go to your mailbox when you have credit card debt, because they're in control. They're in control. But I have good news for us today, because, because we're at church, and we're talking about Jesus, and Jesus always, always brings good news. He always brings good news. You can, I want you to hear this, and when that little voice inside you says, no, I can't, I just want you to hear that you can, you can get out of debt. You can live debt-free. You can. I would say somewhere between 95 to 99% of us in this room can get out of debt. And I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're thinking, yeah, but I'm that other 1%. I'm that other 4%. I can't do it. No, listen. You can. You can. It's not going to be normal. The way to get out is not going to be easy, but it's going to be healthy. And in the end, you know what you'll have? You'll have control over your finances. You'll be accumulating control, not debt. So what I want to do is I want to get really practical about debt today because it's something that just, it plagues, it plagues us. I want to get practical about calling out debt for what it really is. I'm taking a sermon that Pastor Ron preached about two years ago, and I've kind of reworked it for us. He got that sermon from a guy named Dave Ramsey. If you've never heard of Dave, Ram- Dave Ramsey, he is a Christian financial expert. He is helping millions of people find freedom in their finances. So I want to get really practical about how do we take back control of our finances? How do we get out of debt? And the first thing is this, and it's in your notes. We need to see debt for what debt really is. We need to see debt for what debt really is. Debt is not control. So what we're going to do this morning is look at a few passages from the book of Proverbs. Now, Proverbs was written by a guy named Solomon. The Bible tells us that Solomon asked God. God said, you can have whatever you want to this king named Solomon. You can have whatever you want. Solomon said, I want want wisdom. Not riches, 
Not glory, I want wisdom. And God blessed him with wisdom. He was the wisest man who ever lived other than Jesus. And because he was wise, he got glory and he got riches and all those other things. He asked for wisdom. And people in the ancient world would travel from all over the place just to come and listen to Solomon teach, to ask him questions and to get wisdom from him. And we are so fortunate. We are so fortunate that we have his writings in the Bible. We, have his, we don't have to travel around the world. We don't have to go to some guru. We have his writings right here in the Bible. So I want to talk about what Solomon has to say about money. And this is what he says. Let's start off in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 7, because this is what we need to know about debt. He says, the rich will rule over the poor. The borrower, and I want you to, to underline or circle this, the borrower is a slave, is a slave to the lender. We need to call out debt for what debt really is. Debt is not control. Debt is not power. Debt is not Um, the ability to go where I want, when I want, do what I want. Debt is slavery. It's slavery. The borrower is a slave to the lender. And the only reason, the only reason why we are okay with debt in this room, if you're okay with debt, the only reason why you are is because it's so normal. It's just so normal. Everyone has it. And we assume if everyone has it, it must be the right thing to do. But like we said earlier, there's a difference between normal and healthy. God wants us to be healthy. So Solomon in Proverbs chapter 6, he tells us, here's what you should do. If you find out you're in slavery, here's what you should do. And I love this. Look at this word picture. In verse verse 5 of of Proverbs 6, he says, Free yourself like a gazelle from the hand of a hunter, like a bird from the snare of a fowler. My grandfather— lives in southern Oregon, in Medford, Oregon, and he had a ranch there. And I love Grandpa John, his farmer John. Isn't that great? My, my grandfather's name was John. He was a farmer. I just love that. Growing in southern California, I like, I'm going to see Farmer John. I thought that was really neat. Apparently, I'm the only one. <laughs> so we go to Medford, Oregon, to my grandfather's ranch, and he had these cats all over. You know how they do on farms, kind of wild cats? They'd feed them, and they kind of, <sighs> they looked at you like that, you know. There was this one cat that I loved. This cat's name is Pug. Was Pug. I should, let's clear. Was Pug. Now, Pug was a cool cat because when I came to meet Pug, Pug uh, only had three and a half legs. He had lost his back one here. I won't get into details. Don't worry. He had lost his back leg, though, and half of his tail because he had a run-in with a hay baler. And if you know anything about hay balers, when a hay baler and a cat mix, the hay baler wins every time. Every time. So, so Pug was this cool cat, this cool farm cat. He would hop around on like three legs with half a tail. And I just thought, he was, that's a tough looking cat. Cats aren't traditionally tough looking, right? It's like, it's like I'm going to take my guard cat for a walk. No. But Pug was a tough cat. But here's, here's what Pug did, okay? This is really interesting. Every time the hay baler came on after that, that run-in, every time the hay baler came on, Pug took off like a cat out of you know where. They took off. Why? Because he'd had a run-in with the hay baler, and you know what? He didn't really want to have another run-in with the hay baler. In the same way, Solomon says this, if you find yourself in debt, free yourself like a gazelle running from a hunter. Just imagine the picture. A gazelle is out. It's a nice morning, and he's eating his food, and all of a sudden he looks up and he realizes that a hunter has him in his sights. Here's what the gazelle does not say. The gazelle does not say, well, I hope his aim is a little off and he only gets my back leg. I hope he only maims me. And then he just keeps on eating. That's not what the gazelle, the gazelle says, I'm going to get out of here. And he 
takes off running because the gazelle is not, it's not interested in pain management. He's not interested in only being minorly mutilated. The gazelle wants health. The gazelle wants freedom from the hunter. The problem is we don't view debt like a gazelle running from a hunter. Most of us are content with debt reduction. Let's say it's okay if, if the hunter just gets my back leg and I limp through life with this debt hanging on to me forever. But Solomon says, don't, don't do it. Don't, don't do debt reduction. Do debt elimination. We need to attack our debt and we need to eliminate it. We need to attack it and eliminate it. And I want to explore how we do that. How do we attack debt and how do we eliminate it? I told you, for these three weeks, we're getting very practical. How do I attack debt and how do I eliminate it? Because church, you you can, I can, we can be debt-free. We can have freedom in our life. And that's an incredibly good thing. God created us for freedom, not for slavery. Jesus came and he gave his life on the cross so we could have freedom, not slavery. And that's freedom in every area of our lives. And anything that's leading to slavery is not from God. So how do, we, how do we get out? How do we attack and eliminate our debt? Here's some practical ways. The first is this, and this is going to be mind-blowing. Don't buy with credit anymore. Don't buy with credit anymore. I know that sounds simple sitting in church. Don't buy with credit. We're all, yeah, that's right. We wouldn't want to do that. But listen, you're going you're gonna to go out into the world, and credit is habit-forming. It's addictive. We're, just, we're used to it. Everyone does it. Think of it this way. If you find yourself in the pit of debt, wouldn't you want to stop digging? If you find yourself in the pit and you want to get out, the first step is stop digging yourself into more debt. So stop buying with credit. Don't buy gifts with credit. Don't buy gas with credit. Don't buy groceries with credit. Don't buy vacations with credit. And if you're saying to me, yeah, but I I want to, I want to, listen, it's your choice. But you need to know the truth. Debt is enslaving you. And God wants freedom for you. So don't buy on credit. Run from it like a gazelle running from a hunter. That's the first step in eliminating debt is don't add more to it. The second one is this. And and this is for you, especially if you're a follower of Jesus. But I want you to know that Every one of us can be a follower of Jesus because he loves you and he wants to have a relationship with you. The second one is pray. Pray. God is not just the doctor who's giving us the cure to get out of debt. God is like a heavenly father who wants to walk with us and give us the courage and the strength and the wisdom to get out of debt. And so we pray to God. We ask him as a doctor, give me the cure. And then we ask him as our heavenly father, show me how to get out. Give me the strength in my moments of weakness. When I want to go out and buy something, when I'm feeling particularly down, when I'm feeling bad about myself, uh, when I've had a tough day at work or, or school was hard or the kids were driving me crazy or my spouse was whatever, and I just want to go and buy something to make myself feel better, to self-medicate, instead of doing that, pray. Jesus, Jesus, would you, would you heal me inside so I don't have to buy something to mask my emotion? Ask Jesus to reframe our mind when it comes to debt. If we don't actually view debt like slavery, we'll never get out of it. He needs to reframe our mind. He needs to reframe our mind. And I would say this. 
pray about everything. Before you go out in the car, pray. Should I go to that restaurant? Should I buy that thing? Should we go on that trip? Do we need that? How much is enough? Pray. Ask God into the process. The Bible says that God lives in us and gives us the strength to live out the truth that we know in our head. We don't need to know in our head that debt is slavery. We need to have the strength to live that truth out in our lives. And the third one is this, sell something. Sell something. Do you realize? Do you realize how many thousands of dollars you have sitting in your house right now that you don't even use? Some of us, and this is, this is, this is awesome, some of us, we even pay money for a storage unit to store more stuff that we aren't using. Think about that. Think, think about just selling, just selling something, selling anything, selling, selling the, the, the thing you haven't used in six months or a year. Have a yard sale. Go on eBay. Put it on, put it out, put it on whatever, Craigslist. Just, just sell it. I have friends who've just gone, they've just gone crazy. They've walked around. Haven't used that. Haven't used that. Haven't used that. Hey, the kids haven't done much recently. Maybe we could, no, we, no, we can't sell them. Okay, we're Christian. No. Um, go through your house. Go through your garage. Go through your storage unit. If you haven't used it in six months or a year, sell it. You could make thousands of dollars and then put that thousands of dollars towards debt. Instead of making payments on that thing, sell it. Sell it. Put the money towards debt. Put the money towards debt. Have a yard sale. See what happens. We have thousands. I'll bet some of us have tens of thousands of dollars of things we don't even use anymore. What if we just sold it and paid off our debt? Here's another one. A great way to get out of debt is to earn additional income. Earn additional income. If you're paid hourly, pick up an extra shift a month. Just one extra shift a month to earn a little extra income. If you're salaried, think about getting a part-time job on the outside just until your debt's paid off. And, and I, I get it. Listen, I, you're going to hear me say over and over again, don't shortchange your family for the sake of your job. You're going to hear me say that over and over again. But at the same time, I want to say this. If you are living your life in slavery to debt, you're already shortchanging your family. Why not get an extra job just until you get out of debt to pay it off so you can have the freedom to engage with your family a little more? Even a little extra income, if you put it towards debt, you're going to see in just a second, it could make all the difference in the world for your life. And the next one is this. Use what Dave Ramsey calls the debt snowball method. What, what he means by this is, and, and I'm going to have uh, a friend of mine come up in just a second and talk about this. What he means by the debt snowball method is this. If you've ever been to the snow or lived in the snow, when you start making a snowball, you roll it small, and then as you roll it in the snow, the snowball gets bigger and bigger and bigger. And he says it's the same thing with debt. When you first start paying off debt, it's going to feel small. It might feel a little insignificant, but keep on rolling that snowball. And over time, it's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. If we stick with it month after month after month, we'll be able to eliminate larger and larger chunks of debt. And I've invited, uh, you know him probably as most as our worship pastor, Justin, who was just up here, but he's also our finance pastor. And he's also someone who's gotten out of tens of thousands of dollars of debt. So I've asked him to come up and share with us a little bit more about the debt symbol method and how it's changed his life. Yeah, let's give him a hand. All right. All right. Thank you. Cool. Well, um, this was a method that Jessica and I used to also to get out of debt. We had about $40,000 in debt, and we used it, and we got out of it in 24 months. So, uh, and it's nice to be on the other side of that, let me tell you. So I'm going to tell you what it is. I'm going to explain it to you and then uh, talk a little bit about why you want to do this in the first place. 
So here's what this debt snowball method is. Um, you make a list of all your debts, and you order them in smallest to largest. So you just kind of line them, them all up. Um, you make the minimum payments on every single debt except for that one at the top of the list, and then you put all your additional funds, you, whatever you can find from that extra income, from whatever, and you put it at that debt. And then you just do that, and then you, you roll it over, snowball, into the next debt, that whole entire payment. So that's kind of how it works. Now, um, if I look at an example, it might help make it a little bit clearer, hopefully. I'm going to try and make it as clear as possible. So here's just a what-if scenario. Um, let's say you've got, here's your, your different debts, and you, you lined them up um, smallest to largest. And the reason I'm saying smallest to largest, a lot of people have said, oh, do the highest interest rate one first. Here's why. If you do something that's, if we started with the visa, the $8,000, it's going to take you probably 18 months to get out of that debt. And it's just going to take forever, and you're not going to feel like you're getting anywhere. So that's why we say start with the, to the, the smallest first. Because this person put $300 extra a month toward their debt. So they took their little $50 a month minimum payment, and they added 300 to it. And in six months, if you're doing the math, We've added interest and things like that. That's why the numbers don't exactly look like they match up. Um, but if you do that for six months, you've paid off that entire card. Then you roll that into. So you had your $400 car payment. Now you've added 350 to it for 750 a month now. You're putting towards the car. For four months, you're, uh, the car's gone in four months. And then you take that 750 and you add it to the 100 that you're paying for your American Express, and that's gone in six months, and then you take 850, put it to the 150 you're paying, and that's gone in six months. And so in 22 months, you've paid off $20,000 worth of debt by just finding 300 extra dollars a month in there. And so that's the method. And I will tell you, though, um, it's not easy. Um, have you guys ever tried rolling a snowball in the making snowballs? It's, it's not like in the cartoons where it just kind of rolls down the hill and everything just goes and does it on its own. you got to, like, work at it really hard. And so it is going to be a lot of work, and it is going to be hard. Um, and those things that Kevin talked about, Jessica and I did every single one of them. Uh, we found extra income. I, I started a business that I could do at night after the kids went to bed. Um, we, I immediately sold my, um, my motorcycle. That was the first thing I had to sell. Ouch! Right? It's not, doesn't, it hurts. Um, we had at least three um, garage sales. And we got to the point where we were having so many garage sales, which it seems like, how do you have more stuff? But we'd find it. And then other people were giving us stuff. Hey, you're doing another garage sale. Can you sell this? And you can keep, you know, extra money. Because they knew what we were doing. And they wanted to help. And so they were giving us stuff to sell. And so we just did that. And in, like I said, in, in 20 months, or I mean, in, in 24 months, we had paid off all of our uh, debt, everything except for the house. And <laughs> the key is you got to want it, and you got to be focused. So what could you do with an extra $1,000 a month? It's like you just got a $1,000 a month raise after taxes. It's like getting a $1,000 a month raise. That's huge. And hopefully you're not thinking, I'm going to go buy a nice car and get back into debt. You know, the idea is you can do stuff with that. You know, we're going, 
Jessica and I are going on our first real vacation since uh, our honeymoon, which was the last time we were out of debt, that, by the way. It was our honeymoon. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, I mean, until now. Um, but anyway, so you could do stuff, and you can bless people, and you can, you know, that's what you need. to. you got to want to get out of it. you got to see that you are, really are in slavery, and you got to want to get out of it. And I was looking at this background, and I love this background because um, it's like when you use that credit card, the thing is, um, it's like the money's flying away from you when you're using that. I can just see it. So, but I look at it a different way. I see the money flying at me because I've stopped doing things the old way. And so, anyway, that's why I kind of like that graphic. I was looking at it and thinking that. So, anyway, you can do it. It's going to be hard. You've got to make sacrifices. But if you, if you push at it, it's, it'll happen. And then on the other side... There's a lot of freedom, and it feels really, really good. So, there you go. There's Thanks, a dead man. snowball. Appreciate it. Uh, by the way, Justin is heading to Disneyland uh, to see the Frozen Princesses in a couple of weeks, which is pretty exciting for his big vacation. So congratulations, Justin. Um, just let it go. Let it go. Um, I do want to share one more thing as we wrap up uh, the message this morning, and this is, this is key to staying out of debt, getting out of debt, staying out of debt. And the last one is save in advance. Save in advance. In two weeks, Ron's going to talk to us about how and why to save, how and why. But I want to say just briefly, we need to have an emergency fund because emergencies happen. Uh, Dave Ramsey suggests $1,000. Put $1,000 into an emergency fund and don't touch it. It's for unforeseen emergencies. So a water heater breaks, you use the emergency fund. Because if you don't have $1,000 saved up and you have an emergency, what do you have to do? You have to swipe your credit card and you have to go back into debt. So he says, save up. So get that emergency fund set up quickly. Ron's going to talk to us more about that. But just a heads up, um, your anniversary, not an emergency. Uh, Okay? You forgot that it was Mother's Day and now you have to buy something bigger, not an emergency. Uh, apology. That's what you need. An apology. It's not an emergency. The water heater breaking, car breaking down so you can't get to work. Those are emergencies. Those are emergencies. And so he says, save for an emergency. $1,000 is a good place to start. I want to read to you um, a testimony that someone gave. When we, when we talked about this getting out of debt a few years ago, we got a testimony, and I just think it's so powerful. So I want to read this to you. It says this, I would like to thank you, new life. I really think I've been given a new life. When we first started attending services, we were in financial hardship. We'd been struggling to make ends meet every month. We were living paycheck to paycheck, actually having way more month at the end of our money. We decided to enroll in the Financial Peace University Life Group last spring. The program has changed our lives. We shredded over 20 credit cards. We've paid off more than $9,000 in debt and now have an emergency fund of over $3,000. We have a monthly budget. And we're working to become debt-free. We are so hopeful and now actually believe that it can really happen. I feel like I can breathe and actually relax. I don't feel guilty wondering if I'm working hard enough to provide for my family. As a result, I've ordered Dave Ramsey's program for all of our kids. Our oldest and I are going through the program every Wednesday evening together. It's a special time for us. He's learning vital information that he'll need now that he's graduated and living on his own. He's working on his emergency fund at this moment. The next step for him is to fully fund it. He has no credit cards and is learning. That's a really great thing. I have even approached the kids' high school and am forwarding FPU information to the economics department to suggest that this be taught to every student before graduation. Now, someone in our church who's just walking this out, you can do this. 
See, God wants for you more than the illusion of control for your finances. God wants you to have control of them. He wants you to be financially healthy. Just imagine what it would look like. In that, in that example, it's on your notes. After you paid off your debt in 20 months, that's a thousand extra dollars a month. What would you do with that? Where would you go? Who would you serve? Who would you love? How would you impact the world? Think about how that would improve your marriage and your parenting if you weren't totally stressed out about bills. You can live this way. And it happens when we trust God enough to believe that what he says is actually true and to believe that he is a loving heavenly father that has a plan for our lives. And I want to tell you, in so many areas of following Jesus, we're not going for normal. We don't want the status quo. We want healthy and especially with our finances. God wants you to be financially healthy. And I want to I talk to you for a second, because it doesn't start with getting out of debt. And I want to say, if you're here and you're not a Jesus follower, getting out of debt is a great thing. And the tools I just gave you, they will help you to get out of debt. That's a really good thing. But God doesn't just want freedom from you, for you in your money. God wants freedom for you in every area of your lives. We celebrated communion a few minutes ago, and that is when Jesus came to earth because he loves us, and he gave his life on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could be forgiven. Because we're told that we were in slavery to sin. Sin are those, those thoughts, those actions, those patterns that are hurting you, that are hurting the people you love the most, that have separated us from God. And God wasn't okay with that, so God came to earth, and he gave his life on the cross, and he paid the penalty for our sin so that we could have our sins forgiven, and have a relationship with God so that we could be fully and completely free. And it's from that place of freedom, that place of relationship with God, that all of these other things that we talk about in church flow from. So I'm going to pray in just a second. And if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never accepted the free gift of his salvation as he paid the penalty for your sin, I'm going to give you a chance to do that. We're going to pray, and then partway through that prayer, I'm just going to say, if you're ready to make that decision, you can whisper this prayer where you're sitting, repeat this prayer after me. That'll be your chance to commit yourself to Jesus and then to walk in this relationship with him for the rest of your life. So would you join me? Let's close our eyes. Let's pray together. And to start off, I want to pray for all of us. I want to pray for my friends here, Lord, that you would give us the, the insight and the wisdom and the courage to see debt for what it is, to see it as slavery, and that you would give us the strength to find freedom. As a gazelle runs from the hunter, would you help us to run from the slavery of debt and find freedom for our lives so that we could live not normal lives, but healthy lives? Lord, would you help us to do that? Would you, would you be in the conversations that I know uh, so many husbands and wives are going to have going home today? Would you be with them in those conversations, helping them to, to come to a place of unity and consensus and agreement and, and not to be divided or split? I, I, I pray your protection over their relationship that fights wouldn't enter in, but this would be a freeing time and a good time for them, Lord. I pray for my friends who are single, if they feel alone in this process, that you would bring uh, housemates and friends alongside them to walk this journey towards freedom with them so that they would not be alone. And as we continue to pray, if you're here this morning and you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never entered into a personal relationship with him, today is your day. That freedom that he wants for your finances, he wants for every area of your life. And it starts when you say yes to him. So if you're ready to commit yourself to Jesus, to, to transfer your trust from yourself and what you can do over to Jesus, you can repeat this simple prayer after me. Just whisper it where you're sitting or you can say it in your head. You can say, Lord Jesus, I believe that you love me. I believe that you love me so much that you left heaven and came to earth and that you gave your life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin. 
Today I say, yes, God. Yes, I want this relationship that you're offering to me. Yes, I want you. So would you come into my life? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would you show me, Lord, what it looks like to walk every day from this day into eternity in partnership with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.